have not had the chance to meet, my name is Laura. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we are so glad you are joining us for this second week in our series that we are calling Like a Good Neighbor. And when I was getting ready this morning, I had this like really strong urge to put on like my Jake from State Farm uniform, you know, my red shirt with my khakis. But I didn't want to be extra because, you know, I am not extra, right? <laughs> Yes, those of you who know me are laughing at that. But um, as Pastor Mike said last week, this is not a series on insurance. We will not be trying to sell you insurance or talking about insurance. What we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks is what if Jesus really meant it when he said that the most important thing that we can do after loving God is to love our neighbors. I mean, even if we take Jesus at his word, it leaves us asking several questions, right? Who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love them? Where will I find time to love my neighbor? Last week, Pastor Mike helped us look at the questions, who is my neighbor and what does it mean to love them? And as we work through this series, it's our hope and our prayer that we continue to wrestle with these questions. Anybody do their homework last week? That was our assignment. Wrestle through this question, who is my neighbor? But we're going to explore this question because we think that the Bible has some really important things to say about it and how important it is in our own lives. And today, as we look at these questions, and hopefully if I'm doing my job well, we can answer a question, where will I find time to love my neighbor? Now, according to USA Today, human beings in the United States do not have enough time in their daily lives for, are you ready? Here's the list. Exercising, eating, working, commuting, household chores, entertainment, spiritual development, sadly, family time made the list. But the last one that made the list is my absolute favorite, and I apologize in advance if this is you and I offend you, but according to USA Today, Americans do not have time in their daily lives for, are you ready? Hygiene. We have reached an all-time low. We do not have time to shower or brush our teeth or even put on maybe a little deodorant. And I think this might be why it's hard to love our neighbor, because they're stinky, right? <laughs> Seriously. But really, when USA Today put all of these things together, they discovered that the average American would actually need 42 hours in a day to complete all of the things that they need to do on their to-do list. So if you've ever sat there and you've said to yourself, I don't have time to do all that I want to do, let me encourage you by saying, you're right. Welcome to the human race, at least here in the United States. The land of, I don't have enough time to do what I need to do, like take a shower or brush my teeth. But there's a lot of feelings of frustration and overwhelmingness that come along with that as well. So today, we're going to look at three common, uh, so one of, we're going to look at one of three common barriers to loving our neighbor well, the time barrier. Our hope and prayer for today's message is that we take this idea of I don't have time for that and we turn it into the realization that life is short. And in understanding this brevity of life, 
It can help us employ wise strategies that can then help us break through the time barrier. But first, let us pray. Father God, we come to you today um, in a world full of what feels often like chaos and turmoil with overseas wars in um, many parts of the world, especially in Ukraine. God, with things going on in our own country, such as what is going on in Buffalo and churches around America, God, we just lift up all that chaos and that turmoil to you. Help us to love our neighbors in the midst of all of this, God. Help us to see joy and celebration like today. That we celebrate these three young men and their families and their leaders who have taken the time in their lives to get to know you better, to understand you better, God, and to put their faith and their trust in you. Help us to find hope in that and help us to walk in that and celebrate that, God. And God, just bless our message today that we may move closer to you in loving you and loving our neighbor as you have commanded us to do. It's in all these things we pray. Amen. So how many of you here keep some kind of calendar, whether it's a paper calendar on your desk, maybe it's, you know, a planner, your iPhone, your Google calendar, whatever, right? And if you're being really honest, you don't need to raise your hands on this one, how many of you look at said calendar and think to yourselves, wow, that's a really good day. Look at all those things I have to do today. Anybody? I can say with absolute certainty I am not alone in this. I love the fuller calendar. And we live in a world where a great deal of us think the fuller our calendars are, the better we are. Or the more I get done, the more productive I am, the more I accomplish, the more I achieve, the better I am. I can say this with certainty because I am absolutely guilty of this. This is going to sound really sick and twisted, but I love looking at my calendar and going, oh, I got a lacrosse game here, and I've got family party over here, and I've got this meeting or that deadline. And, and for the most part, that's really a good day to me. I love the hustle and bustle that life has to offer. I love looking at my calendar and seeing that it's filled with things to do. But when I look at my days and how I spend them, it makes me wonder, am I spending my days the way God wants me to be spending them? Am I being a wise steward of my time? And then it dawns on me, this idea, the fuller my calendar is, the better I am, it's a lie that I am telling myself. And there are some lies I realize that I am believing when it comes to how I spend my time. Now, according to the book, The Art of Neighboring by Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon, there are three lies that we believe when it comes to how we spend our time. And so today I want to share them with you. Lie number one that we believe about how we spend our time is things will settle down someday. <laughs> ah, some of you believe that too, don't you? I love the giggles. You see? Okay. So in order to illustrate this, I'm going to throw my darling teenagers uh, under the cute bus here for a moment. My husband and I decided that we uh, wanted two children, and, you know, God gave them to us um, pretty quickly. Really, they're 17 months apart, so we had these adorable, precious, cute little babies. They were so cute. I know y'all think yours are the cutest, but no way. Mine were adorable until 
one day something crazy happened. Now, if you have ever worked with toddlers in any way, shape, or form, or you have witnessed toddlers in motion, this is the crazy thing that happened. They both became mobile. I mean, lean, mean, running machines. So I would get them all ready to go out, play outside. And thing number one, I'd put her little hat on and her little scarf and her little gloves, boots, snow pants, coat, the whole nine yards, and she'd be all ready. And I'd turn to thing number two. I'd start the whole process over, hat, gloves, boots, snow pants, the whole shoot. Look at my shameless plug in their cuteness. Right? So I'd do the same thing for thing number two, and I'd turn around, and thing number one would be across the house, throwing off every single piece of clothing that I just put on her, and I'd have to start the process all over again, only to turn back, and thing two would be completely undressed. And I remember people would witness this, and they would say to me, oh, don't worry, wait till they get this age. It's so much busier. Oh, don't wait till you get to be this age. It'll be so much busier. And I just kept thinking to myself, someday things will settle down, right? It can't be that busy the older they get. And at each stage, whew, right? <laughs> and at each stage, I realized what these people meant. Each stage offered a different level of busyness, different but more so than the stage before. And now I'm at the stage in their lives where all those people were absolutely right. And I keep saying to myself, oh, things will settle down. What's the definition of insanity, right? We keep doing the same things over and over. I know the cross games will end. I know our schedule will calm down. And I keep making my empty nesting list, right? Because things will settle down. But as I'm watching some of my retired friends in the congregation here who are busier now than when they were working, and I know how I'm wired, I know I will find ways in which to fill my calendar and my life and still have that complaint of, I don't have enough time for that. So in line number one, we tell ourselves that things will settle down someday. In line number two, we tell ourselves more is enough. A fuller calendar means a better life. The third and final lie that I would like to talk about today is that it's okay to live this way because Everybody lives this way. This is a lie. Not everyone lives this way. And we don't need to live this way. There's a better, more healthy way for us to live. Jesus lived a healthy life. And I'd say he was a pretty busy guy. I mean, after all, in three years of ministry, Jesus revolutionized the meaning of Old Testament law introduced a message that was completely new and unique to ancient Jewish way of living. We now know it as the gospel. He took a 2,000-year-old mindset and completely flipped it on its head. He taught thousands of people about sin, salvation, and faith. He founded and became the head of a whole new faith culture. Oh, yeah. And he died for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And to my knowledge... In the Bible, nowhere did Jesus say, I am so busy. I don't have time for that. No, again and again, we see that he went away and took time to pray with the Father. We see that he welcomed children to come to him. 
Again and again, we see him taking time to perform miracles, all recorded for us in the Gospels. And we read about his life. We never read that he was hurried or rushed or wishing for more hours in a day. In fact, in John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I'm pretty sure he didn't mean a fuller calendar. What Jesus meant by have it to the full is a life full of meaningful living, a life with intentionality, a life with purpose. So now that we've recognized some of the lies that we tell ourselves about being busy, what do we do with that? I think a great place to start is to look at the words of Moses in Psalm 90 when he goes to God and he asks God to help him spend his days well. Here he says, Teach us to number our days aright so that we may have wisdom. So in the first part of this psalm, teach us to number our days. Jesus is asking God, or Moses is asking God, please help us make each day count. Make each day pleasing to you. Help us be intentional about how we spend these days. In the second part of this verse, he goes on to ask God to help us spend our days well. So not only is he saying, teach me how to spend them, he wants to spend them well. He's basically saying, do this so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Or in the King James Version, he says, so that we may apply our hearts onto wisdom. Now, we will never know when our days here on earth are done. That's God's job and only his job. And he keeps that hidden from us for a reason. But we can know this. God wants us to use our days well and to use our days wisely. He wants us to use these days to glorify him and to follow his word. In order to help illustrate this point, I found this awesome illustration. Suppose every day there was deposited in your bank account $86,400, right? However, there's a catch. What you don't use in one day, you lose. There's no forwarding the balance to the next day. So each day, you start with $86,400. How would you spend your day? Would you go on a shopping spree? Right? We are given 86,400 seconds every day. So once that day is up, it's history. We can't save the seconds. They're gone. Now, I would argue it is foolish to squander and waste $86,400. But I would also argue it's much more foolish to squander and waste 86,400 seconds. Now, I know many of us out there are probably thinking, mm, I'm not so sure. Uh, money is more important than time, right? And many of us would say wasting money is foolish. But wasting time doesn't matter. How about if you were just given a few months to live? What amount of money would a person give to have time to live? You see, here in the United States, it's pretty easy to have a longer life. And the statistics say out of 100,000 people, 88,361 reached the age of 50. More than 70,000 make it to the age of 70, and almost 17,000 go on to be, live to 85 years old or more. 
So in light of God's wisdom, we must learn to live our lives and the reality that our days are numbered. When we live with our mortality in mind, we tend to look at life a little more clearly. Our priorities tend to stay in the right order. So the questions we must ask ourselves is, how are we living our days when it comes to loving our neighbors? What are we prioritizing as important in our lives? How do we flip that mindset from, I don't have time to do that, to I have got to prioritize that? I would argue first we need to employ some strategies. Again, following the book, The Art of Neighboring, we have three strategies that will help us make time for that. The first one is we need to make the main thing the main thing. In Luke chapter, chapter 10, 38 through 42, Luke writes, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord says, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, only, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, to some of us, this might be a familiar text, but just as a little refresher, here we have Martha who opens her home to Jesus and uses her beautiful gifts of hospitality to serve Jesus. And all the while, there's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, and according to Martha, sitting down on the job, doing nothing. And Martha is so not happy with this. So those of us who have siblings in the room, we can totally imagine how this is going, right? I'm doing all the work, and there's my sister sitting and doing nothing. It's like she goes and tattles to Jesus. But Jesus says to her, or she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. In my house, I can totally see this playing out. And I can totally see the tattling ensuing and the fights that happen after that. But here's the thing. Being a good neighbor does not mean we have to dust off the china or host a formal dinner party. It doesn't mean that we have to have every cobweb in our home dusted off and cleaned. Nor does it mean that we have to be best friends with the entire block. I promise none of us have time or energy for that. What it does mean is that we need to decide to sit at someone's feet and spend time listening and getting to know them. To sit at someone's feet is a decision that we make. It's a commitment. It takes time. So when we say, I don't have time for that, what we really mean is that we're not making the main thing the main thing. And the main thing above all else, according to Jesus, is that we love our neighbors like ourselves. In Matthew, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The second strategy we need to employ when, eliminate, when working with a time barrier is to eliminate time wasters. In Ephesians 5, Paul warns us, be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If we're going to love our neighbors well and address this whole issue of time, we first and foremost need to be honest with ourselves. How are we spending our days? It might be your many meetings. It might be your full calendar of sporting events or band concerts or dentist appointments or doctor's appointments. Maybe it's taking the car into the shop. Those things certainly have ways of filling up our calendars. But what about the time that we spend mindlessly scrolling through our phones or binge-watching that next show on Netflix? Those don't make the calendar, but they certainly have ways of filling up our days. So in strategy number two, in order to love our neighbors as Jesus commands us to do, we need to eliminate time wasters. Maybe it's playing one less round of Candy Crush on our phone or not binge watching an entire season of General Hospital in one sitting. Those things are fun and pleasurable and God wants us to have fun and find pleasure. But I would argue that he wants us to find pleasure in loving our neighbors as ourselves. By eliminating time wasters, we are creating space to be more intentional about loving the people God has called us to love. And the third and final way to break through the time barrier is we need to be interruptible. Now, what does this mean for us? It means we're willing to be inconvenienced. It means we're willing to be flexible and allow space in our lives for interruption. Here's the important piece to this. Not only do we need to be okay with these interruptions and being inconvenienced, but God tells us this is an act of loving our neighbor, which is, Jesus says, it's as important as loving God. So in looking at scripture, we could be here all day looking at ways that Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. But for the sake of time, we will narrow it down to Mark chapter 5. Throughout Mark chapter 5, there are several awesome records of how Jesus was interrupted. In verses 1 through 11, he is interrupted um, on his way to do something. And someone comes to him and says, there's a demon-possessed man. Can you heal him? Jesus stops where he is going and takes the time to heal the demon-possessed man. In verses 21 through 43, Jesus heals a dying girl and a sick woman. While the records of Jesus' life demonstrate the divine healing power of Jesus, there are also examples of how Jesus was not hurried. He was not stressed. He wasn't telling the crowds, no, I'm so sorry, I cannot heal you today. Can you come back next Thursday at 10 a.m.? I can pencil you in then. No, he was taking the time to love his neighbor. In these examples, he's with crowds, teaching, yet he stops what he's doing and he takes the time to be interrupted. So with strategy number three, we can practice loving our neighbor by allowing space to be interruptible. So to bring this all together, I want to look at two different neighborhoods. In neighborhood one, we have, let's say for the sake of the story, we have Gladys and her next door neighbor, Bob. Now, Gladys and Bob have been neighbors for 27 years. Gladys and Bob's wife were best friends before she passed away. One day in August, she gets a knock at her door. And she goes to her door, wrapped up in the middle of August, in a terry cloth robe, sick, 
pail, pulling an oxygen tank behind her. It's the city commissioner's officer at the door. And he says, hi, ma'am. I got a report that your lawn needs to be mowed. Gladys looks and says, it was Bob, wasn't it? The city commissioner officer obviously can't tell her, but she goes on to say, I'm so sorry. I'm in renal kidney failure, end stage. My disability check doesn't come in until tomorrow. I have the lawn care service scheduled to come then. In that conversation, the officer learns that Gladys also is the sole caretaker for her wheelchair-bound, tube-fed son. In neighborhood two, we have Jane. Jane calls the same officer and says, hi, I'm calling about my neighbor. City officer thinks to himself, oh, geez, oh, Pete, here we go again. After all, neighborhood one are the phone calls he gets all day, every day. Jane goes on to say, his lawn is so long. The officer in his head has choice words for Jane that we cannot repeat in church, but he is not happy with Jane. And Jane continues and says, I'm really worried about him. Can you come and check on him? Well, Jane doesn't go and mow her neighbor's lawn. She takes the time to make sure that someone is checking on him. What does it mean to love our neighbor? It means we take the time to know more than their name. It means maybe we help a sick neighbor mow their lawn or lend a hand carrying their groceries or watching their child so that they can run to the store for groceries. It means we know a little more than their name or have a little more interaction with them than waving at them from the driveway. Now, this looks different for each one of us here, and some of you might be sitting there getting hives at this idea, and the idea of getting to know more than just your neighbor's name seems incredibly uncomfortable. Let me encourage you. I am an extrovert. I love people. I get my energy from people. I'm charged by people. But this idea of stepping out of my comfort zone and putting myself out there seems terribly uncomfortable, embarrassingly uncomfortable. But if we take the time to carve out this space and allow time to sit and be at peace with a life not filled with hurry, we are living the commandment that Jesus commands us to do, to love God and love our neighbors, much like he did in the three years of his ministry on this earth. If we are to take the great commandment to love God and love our neighbors seriously, then we need to take the time to do so. I love this quote I found in preparation for today's message from inspirational speaker Dennis Waitley. It says, time is an equal opportunity employer. Each human being has exactly the same number of hours and minutes every day. Rich people can't buy more hours, scientists can't invent new minutes, and you can't save time to spend it on another day. Even so, time is amazingly fair and forgiving. No matter how much time you've wasted in the past, you still have an entire tomorrow. In other words, you may not have time to do all you want to do, but you do have enough time to do what you need to do. And what you need to do is what God wants you to do. And if you capitalize on what you need to do, God will make sure that you have time to do it. 
The issue is not will my calendar be full, but what will fill my calendar? It is our hope and prayer that we recognize the need to prioritize our days so that we may have the wisdom to spend them well. Will you pray with me? Father God, throughout this series, we look at what it means to love our neighbors. Some of us do this so well, God. Let them be witnesses to us and how this looks in our own lives, how to do this better. God, help us to remember it's the, the next important thing to loving you. So as we work through this week, God, wherever we are, sitting in these seats or at home hearing this message, God, may we be moved to be better. May we move, move to break down the time barrier and to use our time wisely. And we ask all these things in your name, we pray. Amen.